This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Now let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzow. Right down below me here, Janelle Fosquette, my co-captain, the engineer, the uh, producer, the brains behind the organization. And I hope you're you're fired up today uh, because this is an electric episode that we uh, are about to partake in because we have Patrick Durham with us, who is um, an expert in EVs. He's uh, one of the smartest people that I probably know in the fire service. Um, he's a captain and training officer with Troy, Michigan Fire Department. He's a mechanical engineer, and he's currently working on advanced development projects in the automotive industry, uh, most recently designing a multi-material battery structure for electric vehicles. And then he started Stashed Training, which I love the name, to educate firefighters on a variety of technical topics, including the unique aspects of responding to electric vehicle fires and vehicle uh, electric vehicle incidents. And he had one of the top, uh, uh, I guess, rated, um, Janelle, what is it? One of the highest uh, hits on one of his current articles. Oh, yeah. Correct? One of the most read articles of all time on Fire Rescue One, um, or at least of 2022. It was a very, very popular article about electric vehicle fires. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. All right. How are you, by the way, Janelle? I'm great. I'm great. I love your uh, your electric pun there. Um, nice, yeah. nice job, Aaron. Well, welcome, Patrick. I'm super charged up to have you. There's my second oh, one. Boy. Sorry. I know there it's going to get worse. Um, and uh, so thanks again for being here. You are a very smart individual, and you started a training protocol and, and program based off of you know, the questions and, and let me ask you the first thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a brand new Lieutenant. I'm sitting in the front seat and I come up to an EV that's on fire. It's up on the curb. There's power lines that kind of going over the top of it. I'm going to have you take it from there. What do I do? I mean, it starts like every other incident. You're going to want to do your 360, your size up, um, scene safety, all that stuff. But, uh, the biggest thing is identify what you have. You know, know that uh, if it is a, an EV, um, you know, what what make, model, and uh, start start your plan from there. Um, likely with electric vehicles, you really need to refer to some type of outside guide. Um, it's unfortunate. It's not like, you know, a standard vehicle fire where you just put water on it and put it out. Uh, but you need to start getting into the ERGs, uh, emergency response guides that the manufacturers are putting out and um, start getting some information from those. Um, also, you need to know what's on fire. Is the high voltage battery on fire? Because that's really where the hazard is and that's what departments are really struggling with. Um, or is it just something on the interior caught on fire? Maybe somebody dropped a cigarette in the upholstery and you know, at that point, if that high voltage battery is not involved, it's a, a standard vehicle fire, a couple hundred mm-hmm. gallons of water and should go out pretty easily. Yeah, so we shouldn't automatically assume Hey, this is automatically the, the the battery is on fire. What are the differences? How do we how can we tell that it is that that battery that that's that's uh you know creating the 
the um, the hazard. Usually you see um, some type of, a, called a blowtorch effect. Uh, you've got fire kind of shooting out of the bottom side of the vehicle. It seems a little more natural from uh, what we're used to seeing on vehicle fires. Okay. So I come up, it's shooting out. Obviously it's going to start the rest of the, the, the car on fire. Um, and, and this is where it gets really interesting, right? Like, um, and I read your, your piece. I've been reading a lot of your articles because this is something I think, you know, it, it's I, my question, I think is probably a lot of us are hopefully listening to this going, yeah. Okay. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Cause it goes through our heads. Right. Um, so let's say we do establish that it is a battery that's on fire. Then what are our options? Uh, ultimately your, your best option, the quickest option will likely be let it burn. Uh, they say if you can get it, let's say there's no exposures there, you can let it burn. Uh, they say it should take an hour, hour and a half. It will burn through all the material in the battery. And then you can put it out like a traditional vehicle fire, a couple hundred gallons of water, a um, little mop up and you're done. Um, it's really unfortunate because, you know, you see the case studies out there. You see the departments really struggling with the batteries, you know, four, six, eight hours on scene. The battery keeps reigniting. Um Ultimately, the end goal is pretty much, or the end result is pretty much the same. The vehicle's already burned through the battery itself. Um, you know, for a public perspective, you know, the public looks at it. They see the fire department standing there watching the vehicle burn. And they, you know, it's, you're kind of screwed either way. They look at you and say, well, why aren't they doing anything? But on the flip side of that, you sit there with a vehicle. It's burning for those four, six, eight hours. The public's driving by saying, well, why can't this fire department put out a vehicle fire? So yeah. we're kind of in a tough situation. Yeah. Which we we're not very good with, which I know no. like, like, and that's why you, you've, you've obviously been really, really busy the last couple of years, um, you know, based on your knowledge. And so let's talk about that a little bit. So you're a mechanical engineer and then you've also worked with the, um, automotive industry for, for, for how long now? So I started in advanced development, probably 2000, we'll call it 2010. So 13 years now. Um, so I've been working in different areas of the vehicle and just most recently, uh, a lot more focused on the electric vehicle side of things. Were you in fire first or were you an engineer first? I actually started about the same time. Um, so right out of college, I bought my first house. Uh, I lived a block away from the fire department and uh, I knew I was a volunteer at the time. And I just kept saying, you know, I should go down there and figure out how to join. I had no idea. And one day my wife just told me, Get, just walk down there, talk to them figure out how to join this thing and, and get it over with. So um, <laughs> I've been doing that ever since. Uh, so I yeah. joined the fire service in 2006 and uh, yeah, I love it. And so now you're able to, to kind of combine, Hey, I, I know a little bit about this and a little bit about this and bring it together for us to teach us. Um, you know, you know, what are the biggest questions that you're getting um, out there? Cause I know that there are, I don't want to say gimmicks, but there are like, Hey, there's, other things that people are coming up with that from, I think what curtains, blankets, penetrating nozzles, uh, go through those with me a little bit. Are those effective or are, are they promising or kind of? Yeah. So there's a, there are definitely a number of different things. Um, I'd say I'll start with the, the foams. Um, the, the biggest issue is the battery cells themselves. They, uh, you know, it's a, it's a chemical reaction. It doesn't require oxygen to burn. So once okay. you understand that fact, it's a very hot cap chemical reaction, exothermic reaction. Um, so it doesn't it, like that. That's something that's hard for us to comprehend. Cause we're always taught about, right? Like, 
Right. You, you right. take away oxygen, there it goes. But so in this case, everything is enclosed within that battery and it's creating its own oxygen, correct? Yeah, yep. And actually I have a cell cell right here. So this is from some of the early Teslas. Uh it's an 18650 battery. They still sell them in um you know, for consumer electronics and that type of thing. Um Tesla's since gone to a larger cell. Um it's a bit bigger than a D cells D size battery, but they're all essentially built the same way. Uh, layers of material inside of here, and UL's done a lot of testing on this. And from the UL studies, when this thing fails, again, it's, it gives off a lot of heat, uh, about six liters of gas out of this little thing, uh, 4,400 PSI at about 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. So a lot of heat comes out of that. Now you put thousands of these inside of a battery box, and that battery box is watertight, and it's uh, fire resistant by design. So now, you know, you've got this thing burning in this watertight fireproof box. And, and how do you, you know, even if you had this magic solution to put out the fire or stop the fire, you know, how do you get that material inside the box to actually take care of that? Um, and that's where a lot of the challenges are. Um, I know there are some foams out there that, that um, may work great when the battery cells are, you know, out on a table, maybe a, a manufacturing facility, something like that. Mm -hmm. But again, you get that inside the watertight fireproof box. It's really challenging. Um, you start looking at like the piercing nozzles. Um, every single manufacturer says, do not pierce our battery box. So now you slide this thing under, you pierce it. Let's say somebody does get hurt. Okay. Where does the liability fall at that point? That's mm -hmm. my concern, you know, especially being an officer at that point somebody gets hurt due to this. Um, but also you start looking at the way these boxes are designed and likely if you pierce the wrong spot, you're going to cause more damage and more fire in that area. And then you look at something like the Tesla Model Y where that battery box, not only is it watertight fireproof, it's completely filled up with, with uh, polyurethane foam. So if you were to pierce that box, now the water has nowhere to go other than in and straight back out. Um, yeah. So there's some challenges there. Yeah, it's so. So you, each one of these cells are on top of each other, and they just keep right. Like they obviously get get the cell next to it uh, to yep. a temperature where that that starts uh, the reaction, and and then uh, it's just it's uncontrollable from from our standpoint. What about like the big curtains that go over top or blankets? I, I know that that was big. I think overseas is that something. Probably yeah, the same reason, right, right? Yeah, so because they don't require oxygen to burn, um, you can't really smother them. Um, I, I think those blankets, the fire blankets, have some merit for, like, exposure protection. Uh, maybe you're in a parking garage. Um, you're on a, uh, a ferry that's going across the water. You know, wherever you may be. Maybe you're in a garage. You just need some time, you know, buy some time where you can get a tow truck there to, to get it out of that garage. Um but on the flip side of that, one of the big components that this, these batteries off-gas is hydrogen. So you've got this flammable gas. You're now you're now trapping under this blanket, and you have a very high potential. If you lift this blanket up, you still have the heat source. Now you have a fairly energetic fire event. By by lifting that blanket up, correct. So that could, just, expo could, could, it could explode as we're taking that thing off. Potentially, yes. So is that like the equivalent of, you know, breaking a window on a structure fire, introducing oxygen? Creating... Absolutely. Or if you, you're Got at it. a natural gas incident and you have, you know, you get that perfect mixture inside the house and, you know, thermostat clicks or, you know, whatever, you flip a light switch, you know, that type of thing. But Got with it. this, the heat source is already there. 
So okay. I have a question about when you were talking earlier about kind of just dumping the water on and it keeps reigniting. So the idea is that it's a six to eight hour battle because it just keeps reigniting because you don't give it the opportunity to just burn out. Right. Correct. And that's Correct. why the resources are, are used. Now, if you have the blanket and you don't remove the blanket and it's really just for exposure, exposure protection, will it go out in the same amount of time as it would if you just let it burn? Um, that one I'm not a hundred percent sure on. I would expect it would still, you know, probably take that hour, an hour and a half. Um, I don't see a whole lot of cooling effect uh, from the blanket, especially inside the, the box itself. You know, mm -hmm. it's still going to be doing what it's doing. Um, another thing to consider when you start talking about these cells is, you know, each chemistry is a little bit de different on these. Um, and relatively speaking, when you're, you're talking about temperatures in the fire service, the failure temperature is relatively low. So some of these chemistries for these batteries, they'll fail at about 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, hmm. Others could be a little bit higher, closer to 500, but there's a you know a wide range um, to that right now. And until they come up with safer chemistries um, to where they don't they don't fail at those lower temperatures, you know, that's where we have some problems. So then another option is what about <laughs> this is a, a, kind of a funny one sometimes I think, but submerging vehicles, same thing, right? That it's still within that battery right yeah that, so case battery pack right and that's um they do that in europe um they've got these large things that look like 40 yard dumpsters I, I think i see they started selling them here as well in the states yeah. a lot of the manufacturers and the ergs say that they don't want their vehicle submerged and you know once you submerge that vehicle it's causing some other issues and it's still going to be off gassing and potentially you know, how long do you have to leave that in the water before it's safe to pull it out? You know, you look at what happened with Hurricane Ian. You know, all those vehicles got caught up in the uh, in the storm surge. They were flooded out. And I think they had about 15, 20, somewhere in there. Um, but they had a number of vehicles that caught on fire after the floodwaters receded. Yeah, right. so... It, Some yeah. question here. How does, how does the submerging help anything i mean what's the scenario in which you're like oh this car is on fire let's submerge it so i i think if you look at a at an individual cell and I, I know they're doing this in some of the manufacturing facilities they've got you know they've got all these cells maybe a smaller block of them on a table and they're doing a test if something happens inside their manufacturing facility they take that and they slide into it into a, a barrel full of water and that oh, water acts okay. as a buffer and it can absorb the energy absorb the heat um, and, and keep it from being so energetic. Okay. So this isn't like out in the world tactics here. This is, <laughs> this uh, is right. back at the, the it, facility. It yeah, depends, it in, right? Yeah, it is in Europe. They've got, uh, they definitely have some systems set up that way. Um, and they are, from my knowledge, they are selling a system in the U.S. now um, that that's set up for that. Uh, but on the other side of it too, now you've got this big container full of water you just left the vehicle in there for, you know, who knows how long you take the vehicle out. What do you do with that water? You yeah. know, I can't imagine you can just dump it down the storm drain at that point and, you know, let it run back. You know, yeah. Yeah. System. Good point. Right. And, and that's, that's the big thing with fighting these fires with 30,000 gallons of water, that water's got to go somewhere and now it's right. contaminated. Um, 
do you think educating the the general population on this is a good thing to do for a fire department? Is it, if I'm a PIO, do I need to start thinking about hey these EV fires? There's not much we can do. Uh, you know, like wh- what's what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think it's important that the public knows what's going on, um, not only from an electric vehicle standpoint, but also start looking at, you know, easy, even your consumer electronics. You know, there's a lot of e-bike fires, scooter fires. Um, I know in Michigan, um, I think there was an e-bike that, that caught a, uh, a historic home on fire up in Mackinac Island. Mm-hmm. Um, they had an electric uh, wheelchair that caught on fire in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, caused some some damage. So, you know, just letting the public know that you've got to be careful charging these things and you've got to be careful if the batteries are damaged or if you're buying cheap batteries like replacement batteries, you know, non-UL certified, you're trying to charge them with the incorrect charger. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with those. I just saw a video just the other day of a dog chewing on a, a some type of uh, lithium ion battery that lit off in the home. Yeah. Um, and caught the car. I don't, I don't know the end result of that, but uh, you know, things like that happen and, you know, just weird stuff. Yeah. And I, I think I did see that. It's kind of a viral video that's going on. I, right. I, I saw one, I think downtown New York where like a e-bike fell over and it started shooting sparks and, um, you know, and, and this is, this is becoming more and more common in, in our, my area of, of, um, here in Madison, we had a couple of, um, fires like, like laptop batteries that were secondhand or bought from, like you were saying, probably cheap knockoffs. Um, and that's going to be obviously more, more and more popular and common. And, and, you know, that can start a lot of different things. You were just telling us like a story about, you know, uh, at a hotel, correct? Like someone was. Yep. Yeah. He was a what? commercial drone operator and he had his uh, battery pack sitting on the, the spare queen size bed in his hotel room. And that lit off. Luckily it ended up being a, a fairly minor fire, um, but it definitely had some potential to, uh, to be a, a big ordeal. My God. Yeah. So what's failing in these batteries? Like why, why are we getting fires? What, what happens? You know, let's, let's look at the EV. So the EV, I know there's probably a a combination thing. So accidents obviously can cause, um, can cause the the breakdown of the battery. We know that. What other things are you seeing that are happening? You know, either whether, whether they're charging or, or. A lot of it, what I'm seeing is manufacturer defects of some sort you know, some type or another. Um, you look at the Chevy Bolt, for example, massive recall, and that was a, you know, brought back to a manufacturing defect. And that was, you know, the batteries are catching on fire while they're charging. You think about where people charge their cars, that ends up being a, you know, much bigger issue for us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even Ford just had a recent thing. They stopped production on the Ford Lightning because they had one of their vehicles. It didn't make it out to a customer. But on their end of line testing, uh, they had a fire that shut down production for a little bit while they were trying to, you know, to solve the or figure out what went wrong and make sure a vehicle like that doesn't make it out to a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, aside from that, you see a lot of it with damage. Um, you know, some of the original designs, you run over something on the roadway, you get a really good impact underneath the vehicle. You know, depending on what hit the vehicle or what you know hit the bottom of that battery ca- case. You could either have a fire right away, you know, if something penetrates the battery case, you're probably going to have a fire right then and there, or the the issue just kind of festers and road vibration and everything else with driving, you know, you have a fire a week later, a month later, you just don't really know. Yeah. Snow 
can that, I mean, excessive temperature, hot to cold, snow, uh, piece of ice. What concerns me more with the snow is the salt on the roads. Um, You know, a lot of these vehicles, if they get that salt spray, eventually they rust through. You know, we're not talking new vehicles, but, you know, what happens five, ten years down the road. Right, right. How old is the uh, oldest EV that we have out there, by the way? Are we about that five, six year mark? Uh, You know, it's hard to say because you look at the number of EVs on the road, there aren't a lot of old EVs on the road, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the stats for Michigan specifically, uh, 2021, we had about 17,500 registered in the state, but you go back five years from there from 2021 and it, it was like 2000. So there's been a big uptick in, in EV sales. A lot of them are out on the coast. Um, obviously, uh, Tesla started with the Roadster in 2008. Uh, the Chevy Volt came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just you know, it just depends on where you're looking and a lot of, a lot of quantity. I've got yeah, a question you... to go back to something you mentioned at the very beginning about, you know, when Aaron posed the question about you roll up on the scene, you've got an EV fire, what do you do? And you were talking about, you know, this is where manufacturer guidelines, recommendations, emergency response guidelines come into play. But at the end of the day, if it's a, a Tesla or a Chevy Volt, is there any difference in how a firefighter is going to approach that? On the fire side, probably not so much. Um, it's good to know where the battery is, the size of the battery. Um, especially most of the newer vehicles are very similar in size and shape. Uh, those batteries are very large underneath the vehicle. Um, some of the older ones might be a little bit different. I think the emergency response guide, realistically, is probably more important when you start talking about you know, accidents, extrication. Or, or other types of incidents. Got it. Got it. Yeah. What's the guide you recommend for that? Uh, so each each manufacturer has their own emergency response guide for each model year vehicle they have. Okay. Um, some OEMs are better. Some manufacturers are better than others at providing those. Uh, GM's done a fantastic job uh, getting those documents out, getting them to uh, NFPA hosts uh, a spot on their site uh, that has a whole list of a whole list of vehicles and, and the different ERGs. Um, other manufacturers haven't been doing as good of a job. Unfortunately, there's there's an ISO standard out there for the ERGs, uh, but not every manufacturer is using it right now. Um, some of these ERGs are 30, 40 pages in length. Yeah. Uh, the ISO yeah. sta- standard, I believe, is four pages. Um, okay. So it's a much, uh, it's a much better uh, guide for f- first responders when we get on scene. Is there an app for, uh, so, for all these? So there's no real specific app for it right now. Um, there's some companies out there that have software, um, that have software that have all these details in them. Uh, the Euro Rescue app is a free app you can get on your phone. Uh, it was developed in Europe, and it might not, uh, you know, it might not have all the all the vehicles over here. It doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of great information in it. Yeah. So someone's better off just, Hey, Google this real quick. It's unfortunate to say you got to roll up on scene and, and consult Google. But, you know, again, there are software pieces of software out there that you can purchase uh, yearly that have a lot of great information and have all this information um, without naming names, but, uh, right. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm curious. Uh, so Aaron had asked about, you know, what was causing the EV fires, right? Is the accidents, 
but let's can we pivot that over to just the lithium ion batteries in general like the example you shared with the hotel you know uh with the drone operator you know what's causing that fire and what's i mean what's the catalyst for most of these Mm. consumer electronic fires yeah that one's likely charging um you know that one specifically i don't know all the details on on the the exact cause or what they found out um but a lot of the time these batteries are being charged and uh, you know I, I mentioned earlier the temperature for these things you know is relatively low like 300 degrees for it to go in a thermal runaway or for that cell to fail um think of it you, you're trying to charge these batteries very quickly and you know, think of it like your SCBA bottle. You know, if you put your SCBA in the cascade and you crank that valve wide open, as it fills up, you're going to get to, you know, your 4,500 PSI or whatever your PSI is. But when you take that bottle out, it's really hot, right? Yep. You know, it's the same yep. thing with these batteries. You're trying to dump a lot of energy into this battery cell to charge it up as fast as you can charge it up. And when that happens, it just reaches, reaches that point where it, it fails. Especially and, if you're not using the right charger or, or modified charger, or maybe there's some type of damage in there. Yeah. What, what usually fails is that the barrier between, um, you know, between like, so I know like that there, there are, I've heard and some of my minor research that usually like, it's usually a, like a, a knockoff part or it's, it's poor quality within the battery itself that, that can, can, uh, fail. Right. There's really thin films in there, and it doesn't matter if it's your pouch style, like what you'd see in a laptop or a cell phone, or that cylindrical style that I was just holding up. It's very thin layers, and they're either layered on top of each other, or they're layered on top of each other, then just all coiled up in a, in a, you know, in a round circle or a cylinder to fit in that tube. So one of those one of those layers breaks down. You get contact where it's not supposed to be contact, and it starts reacting. And that just that just all of a sudden causes more heat, and then from there the right. rest just kind of goes goes into uh, thermal runway runway, correct? Uh, thermal runway, runway, yes. Runway, yeah. The, the thermal runway is really when one cell fails, and then the ones around it fail, and the ones around those fail. And and so then going back to the initial scenario that we were talking about, you figure out what what EV you're dealing with. You got you got a, a, an option to to you know, probably one of our, our crew members Google it. The biggest thing is that you had mentioned exposure protection in this case, right? Like right. protect everything around it. Um, usually it's, it takes an hour to an hour and a half. Does that, so if, if a battery is more charged, does it burn longer as opposed to one that's not? Uh, I don't know the specifics on that. I think there's a lot of testing that needs to be done on EVs and a lot to still explore in that area. I do know if the batteries are at full charge, it's more energetic when they fail um, than like half charge or 25% charged um, because you got to think of the energy stored inside of that mm-hmm. device. Um, but yeah, as far as length of time, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. So r- really, unfortunately, like this is what we don't like as firefighters. We don't have a solution for something and water doesn't solve it or foam or taking the oxygen away. So, right. right? Like, uh, how many conversations do you have? You probably have daily conversations where we're like, well, tell me what I, tell me what we can do. And, and, we're, and letting it burn is just not in our vocabulary. Is <laughs> right. It? You know, right. So, no, I, so, 
and I've sat on fires and why it, probably a couple of years ago, I sat on a, a three vehicles on a parking lot that burned for, I think we were there for two hours waiting for, uh, there's power lines on them. You know, you're waiting for two hours for the uh, power company to get there, shut off the power. It's painful just sitting there watching something burn and yeah. not being able to do our job, right? We want to, yeah. we want to do something. We want to be involved, fix the problem. Um, but it's, it's tough when you, you don't have that answer. But maybe you can yeah. just pivot towards, okay, maybe you can't put out the fire, but you can protect the exposures. Right. You know, focus on what you can do. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I, I always tell people, you know, if you've got, for example, a car in a garage on fire, get that tow truck there, you know, use a utility, a winch on a utility. Maybe you got a winch on your rescue. Get that vehicle drug out of the garage. Get it out in the driveway away, away from those exposures. Let it do its thing there and then focus on your your structure fire, you know, get the exposure put out. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that scenario a little bit where you, you obviously need to be SCBA wearing your SCBA anywhere near this, yep. correct. Um, yep. and full PPE, but you have, let's say we have an EV fire. Now I'm coming up on the scene. We got an EV open garage. Um, right now it's, you know, we can tell it's a, it's a battery that's on fire. Next step is, as you said, try to get something there to be able to drag it out of that. Yeah, if, if I had a can. car in a garage, I'd be putting a lot of water in there um, until I could get something there to get it out. Um, but ideally, get somebody coming very quickly to to hook onto a wheel or axle or you know whatever you can hook onto piece of suspension to, to rip that vehicle out of the garage. Okay, is this something you would recommend departments to to look at? Um, you know, local towing company and and hooking up. There's another pun. Sorry, you guys. Uh, hooking up with them to do some training on this? I think so. And I think you need to have a good working relationship with your tow company anyway, because, you know, once you start talking about EVs in general, you know, they've got to be towed on a flatbed. When you get that vehicle to the to the salvage yard or the tow yard, they can't store it inside. They've got to store it away from any, any exposure, at least 50 feet away from any exposure, depending on the size of the vehicle. Um, you know, that's an area where there's a little bit of concern. You, you, you get these departments where, you know, maybe you've got a fatality and you've got, you, you have no fire, but you had an accident, you got a fatality, but now you've got this damaged EV there. They want to take it back. Police, it's now a crime scene. It's now evidence. So police has, you know, they have their own special spot. They want to store it. And some of these departments, they want to have it stored inside. It's like, you can't do that with an electric vehicle. That. Okay. Yeah. And even on that scenario where you got, you know, where that, where you don't see an invisible fire, um, you know, in a fatality accident, should we be wearing our SCBA in those? Uh, when I talk about extrication, um, I think that's an area that's really overlooked when you talk about the fire service and EVs. Everybody focuses on the fire side of it. I think there's a real potential that you're going to be doing an extrication in full SCBA, uh, full PP and SCBA, because you could have crews up there working and you could have a situation where you start, you know, getting eye, throat, nose irritation um, because that battery starts off gassing mm -hmm. and that's not a good thing for you know firefighters to be to be breathing in um it's definitely not a good thing for the patient so maybe you have to get maybe your your vent fan out and blow some fresh air through the vehicle compartment um but there's a lot of different differences there uh the other side of that when you start talking about extrication these fires are very energetic when those batteries let loose um, I know most departments they have in their in their SOPs that you should have a charged hose line ready to go at an extrication, right? Yep. But realistically, how often does that happen? 
you know, every extrication, probably not. Maybe it gets pulled, it does it never gets charged. But with EVs, you really should have somebody staffing that that hose line and ready to go in case, you know, that that does that battery does fail. I'm also thinking about this scenario with going back to the 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 tow truck and working with tow truck companies. Again, you got to look at what's burning, getting that car out of a garage or out of a situation, and then it still goes further. Like you need to communicate with that, that tow truck company. Like this is still not safe. And you'd mentioned that if we're, if we're there and we're doing extrication, some of the symptoms again for that, like if, if members start to cough or if, you know, what are we smelling or seeing and what, what's some, some of the things that we should look out for if we're doing extrication for safety. Yeah. If you see an actual visible vapor cloud, you're probably going to have a fire very soon. Um, But if you start, just getting that uh, that eye or throat nose irritation, um, you know, at that point, you really should pull back and, and get your CBA on. Okay. It, and then uh, anything else with that? Like, you know, people start coughing, people start feeling that. You said you can kind of see something. You'd be able to see a little bit of a cloud. Or Potentially you but... can see a, a vapor cloud coming out. But if, okay. if you get that much material coming out or you see that, something that visible, you're probably going to have a fire within seconds. Okay. So that's also telling us you need your SCBA and you need to get the heck out of that area as right. well. So if there's a patient or something in there, let's do what we can to get them out. Absolutely. Or, okay. or protect them. If you can't get them out, you know, keep them cool. And it, it's not going to be a great situation, unfortunately. So I, I got a, a question kind of related to this, and this is one that my crew wanted me to ask. And a, a member of my crew has really taken this on himself to, to educate all of us on the crew and, and everyone around us. He does. And I think that's, that's what every department needs, right? They need that person to spearhead, try to figure out, talk to, to people like yourself. But he had a question about the charging stations that are, are, are located in like grocery stores and, um, you know, shopping malls and you see them popping up everywhere. Do those, are they supposed to have a safety shutoff? And what are our risks when you got a, an EV charging in that charging station and there's still power going to it? Like what, what do we do there? Yeah. So the charging stations themselves, um, there's different levels of chargers, but the large ones, um, level three chargers, for example, those are 480 volts, um, very large three phase power um, for those that know, you know, electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally if something's going on involving a charging station, uh, you need to find the main switch gear, the main disconnect and get power shut off to it. Uh, and then once power's shut off to it, you know, you, you want to treat that like any type of charge transformer piece of high voltage electrical equipment. Um, but unfortunately to, to make things more complicated, a lot of these newer chargers are starting to come, they're, they're ESS systems, so they're energy storage systems, and they have lithium-ion batteries built into the system itself. So now you've got a charger, and it also has lithium-ion batteries inside of it. Um, so that could create more of a challenge. Uh, yeah. And there, is there a universal like shutoff for all of them, or is it every system is probably a little bit different, right? Like you got to, you know, when you're driving around these things, I hope, you know, one of the takeaways for this is our members and, and listeners are like, shoot, let's figure that out now, right? Let's figure what right. we have in our territories, right? Um, and and it's not look for- just 
I would say it's not just the commercial chargers either, because you've got these residential car chargers, which are are typically a level two charger, 220 volt. But you look at, for example, the Ford Lightning, uh, they require a 220 volt dedicated 100 amp service for that charger. Um, just to give some rough numbers for for you know people that really don't know power, you know a lot of your older homes are 100 amp service just for the mm -hmm. house itself. And then you look at a newer home, they're typically about 200 amps. So half your power is going directly to the charger itself. And then that's could be a different shutoff, correct? I mean, absolutely. It by it should be you know one should be one shutoff, but there could be a separate one for just the EV system, correct? Yes. In certain cases, yeah, there should be. Okay. There should depending be on, depending on who installed it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So I, it, it all comes back to start creating some relationships with those companies that are involved, tow truck companies, getting to know your territory and understanding that these hazards are there. And, you know, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable at a scene where we can't necessarily just put water on it, solve every problem, right? Like, yep. um, you know, this is probably going to be one of the most uh, unliked podcast, but hopefully most listened to because this is stuff that we are totally against. It goes against what we, what we do, right. As, as firefighters, you right. know, we like, like to solve the problem. And unfortunately, sometimes that's just time. Yeah. And time, like yeah. time, which, uh, which brings us to, it's a time for, uh, we like to do hot seat questions. So we, we've been so serious in this, or I have, because I've been, <laughs> I've been dominating these questions because this is, this is, I, I hope every firefighter is behind me going, yeah, these are good. Cause this is what we need to know. Uh, but let's, let's, we'll kind of loosen up a little bit. We like to throw these different questions at, at, uh, our, our guests. And I have one, uh, probably pertains to this a little bit, but as a, you know, as a fire officer, what's your favorite drill for your crews? Uh, so I like time drills. It's very difficult to get um, any sense of urgency when you're talking about training, and it's hard to get that stress level, you know, the stress level we feel when we feel unseen. Uh, so I like to do time drills where uh, one of my favorite is is having the engine pull up, uh, have that, that engineer hop off the engine, you know, get everything in pump, pull the cross lay, and time stops when uh, the hose line is charged. That's okay. probably one of my favorite ones. And you'll just like randomly go up someplace, right? Like, hey, let's do that uh, we, drill. We'll, we'll do it behind the station. We got a hydrant back there, so we can, you know, practice hooking in the hydrant as well. So it, it works out great. Cool. Awesome. Love it. All right. So, what's your most memorable call? Like one that comes to mind anytime anyone asks you about being a firefighter. The one that really kind of fires you up. Um. <laughs> My, my most memorable is more on, on the humor side. Um, we had a we had a flood back in 2014, I think it was. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, we were in this uh, waist-deep water and we're going over these cars that are kind of bobbing in the water and we're, we're picking people out of these cars through the window. Um, and I this lady crawls out of her window into my arms and I'm carrying her, you know, carrying her through the water. And my buddy goes to the other door and he just looks at her and says, you're going to get wet and rips open the door and just floods the inside of the car and, and walk back with her. Cause you know, just, just the way it worked out. 
Yeah, I think you're going to get wet in that situation. You're going to get wet in this situation. (laughs) And thank God those weren't EVs. Now (laughs) what do you do, right? Not to throw... Not to throw a, you know, a little twist of this, but on the plus side, as far as like electrical hazard, they say they're safe in uh, flooded water. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Except um, for but, salt water for a long period of time. Well, I think any water in a long period of time, they'll eventually catch on fire. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So it, it, which, you know, this just comes back to like, all right, so we got, at least we got everybody out, but all of a sudden, if that water doesn't subside, you got four or five EVs, all of a sudden they're, they, they're, they're going. You know, right, right? Like, yep. man, yeah, we're, we're going to have, we could do like four different episodes on, on scenarios and, 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 and EVs. So, uh, but speaking of that, like you're a car guy, you've done some research on them, you know, your stuff, what's your, what's your dream car? Now it can be new. It can be old. Like, um, I'm sure you have a little bit of insight into what's coming out also. So I hate to say it, but my dream car is just a pickup truck. So Nothing, nothing too fancy. Something I can haul stuff around in. A special year? You like you know, like an old seventy four Chevy or a C ten or whatever those are. I actually like the uh, the fifty fifties F one hundreds. Okay, with the flare outs. Yeah, in the back. Still, yeah, uh, still have some curve to the body. Yep, yep. I'm with you on that one too. I actually, my dream is to have like a red one, uh, you know, with a little fire department logo on it or something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yep. Drive around with my dog. On top. Yeah. Yeah. Have my dog in the seat next to me, you know, just wagging his with his head out the window. I, you know, something relaxing about that whole vision. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to go like an EV dream car or something, you know, like yeah. the Batmobile or something like that. Right. Like, um, something really, really cool, which the Batmobile we established behind the scenes is not an EV by the way, no. just for those. Right. You know, um, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, we, we try to just uh, be as informative as possible, but right, you could just see how one question sparked another question, sparked another question, sparked another question, and I I think I just tapped the surface of of scenarios and and questions. Um, but hopefully, our listeners, you know, I think you know to summarize, right? Like, um, what what would you want people to take from this whole podcast, Patrick? Just about what we we talked about a ton, but. You know, to summarize it, what what do you tell that person? You know, when you get that EV fire, or, or you know, uh, yeah, I think it, like any incident we go to, just stay calm. You know, think through the situation, realize what's going on, and try to have an understanding of why you have to sit there and wait. And and on the other side of that, be able to explain that maybe to the chief later on if they're not as you know well informed. You know. And then one last question on this, what are you seeing the manufacturers doing, um, on, on their side to help, uh, the first responder side? Yeah. Unfortunately, the biggest thing I'm seeing is the emergency response guides. And that's not, you know, a lot. I think there needs to be work done on the design side to change that. Um, they are throwing billions of dollars at the battery chemistry. And I think eventually that battery chemistry will be what, what saves this technology and, and makes it a lot safer. Unfortunately, when the battery technology does change, we're going to have a lot of legacy products on the road still or, or out, out in the world. So that's where things can still be a little bit more difficult. I, I think it's, you said everything that we are all thinking, that we know that, that we're going to have to be patient. There is no, you know, silver bullet. There's no special, um, you know, gimmick or, or particular thing that can, can help us. 
um, you know, in these, these situations, just make sure I love the fact you said, Hey, just stay calm. Even though we don't have a, a solution, we still know everything around it. We can control what we can control, you know? So awesome and stuff. Thank you. I was just say these things don't just generally, you know, spontaneously combust in the middle of the road, you know, generally something, you know, catastrophic has happened aside from the manufacturer defects of it. But we also know when we respond to things, we're, we're going to something that, you know, just catastrophically failed or, or crashed or, you know, something happened out of the ordinary. Uh, Patrick, again, thanks so much for your knowledge and uh, for taking the time. And I'm sure we'll probably have tons more questions from our audience and, and hopefully we can get those addressed and answered. And you're, you're welcome back anytime, especially if you find that solution that we're all looking for. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and, and educating us on this topic because uh, it's definitely needed. Um, oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Most importantly, to everyone else listening, learn something, do something, share something to make you and those around you better every shift. Thanks for listening, everybody.